Welcome to Short Talks, a podcast for graduate school applicants. There's a lot to think about when applying to PhD programs, but we'll try to keep this short. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Project Short Short Talks podcast. Today's podcast will be about the careers that you can have post-PhD, and today we'll be talking to a science communicator, Paige Miranda. Paige is a producer for Embodied, a radio show and podcast. She's a science communicator who previously served as WUNC's 2023 AAAS Mass Media Fellow. And during her PhD in neuroscience at New York University, Paige spent her days studying memory formation and sea slugs. In the evenings, she could be found broadcasting her science podcast, Benchwork, on NYU's radio station. So let's listen in and learn about what being a science communicator is like. Hi Paige, welcome to the Project Short podcast. Um, today we're going to be doing kind of a career talks podcast where we'll ask you some different questions about uh, your career and job and stuff like that. So maybe to get started, if you just wanna kind of tell me a little bit about yourself, um, like where you're from, that type of thing, where you went to undergrad, did your PhD. Yeah, hi Ellen, it's uh, really nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so yeah, my name is Paige. Um, and I was originally born in the Southwest in Arizona. Oh, cool. Yeah, I lived there for about like nine to 10 years. Then my family kind of headed out to the East Coast and I lived in a couple different states there. Uh, ultimately went to college and did my undergrad at Wellesley College, uh, which is kind of like on the outskirts of Boston. Okay, cool. Um, and that's where I really found my love for neuroscience. Yeah. Um, and that's what I ended up studying there and really liked the uh, the inquisitive nature of science and yeah. especially liked being able to kind of like apply that to myself um, and learning about the brain. So I decided to kind of take that further and pursue a career in science. Um, after I graduated, I worked at a lab at Yale University for about three years, um, studying uh, the brain again, but yeah. more kind of like the the energy and how we use energy to uh, build uh, memories. And that kind of like built into what I studied in my PhD, which I did at NYU. Um, and I used sea slugs to study oh, memory wow. formation. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, how did you do that? That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sea slugs were actually one of the kind of like originators of a lot of the kind of memory dogma that we know about the the system, like what proteins are used and how we can um, take like short-term memories and make them more robust. Um so yeah, I think uh, Eric Kandel was the guy who originated studying sea slugs, um, and he got the Nobel Prize for that. So he, oh, wow. the, the slug is quite mighty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what I would do, uh, I would do a lot of like um, electric physiology recordings with uh, just like isolating cells from slugs. Yeah. You can also do like more proteomics work, looking at RNA, isolating that, seeing changes with yeah. training. Um but yeah, that's that's kind of uh, what my PhD work focused on. Um, and now I'm doing something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's always kind of how it goes. It's really like, yeah. oh, yeah, I did my PhD in this thing. And then <laughs> now I do nothing related, but it's still mm -hmm. science. So it's mm -hmm. cool. That is so cool, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll give you like a one-liner of what I do now. Uh, I'm yeah. a podcast producer okay. um, and I sometimes am able to incorporate a little bit of science into uh, the episodes that I do, but primarily our podcast likes to focus on the taboo and subjects oh. that may not always get covered in kind of the, the mainstream media, but still deserve that attention and that spotlight. Yeah, that is so cool. I mean, it's kind of like the sea slugs, maybe yes. it's mainstream. <laughs> uh, so there's the relation to your PhD. Um, but that's so cool. Um, I'm curious if you could just like tell us a little bit more about kind of how you got into this. Um, what was kind of your like post PhD? Did you go right into this? Or uh, is it like newer? Yeah, so when I was in my PhD, um, I realized unfortunately for me, mm -hmm. a couple years in that I probably didn't want to pursue a career in academia. Yeah. So kind of at that juncture in my life, I was like, okay, I was trying to take stock of the things that really did speak to me um, yeah. that I was doing in science. And at the time I was doing a lot of, um, of um, outreach work. Okay. So one thing I really like to do is there's like a brain week in New York and they, oh, cool. yeah, they would have scientists like come to the natural museum of history. Um, you'd be able to like interact with uh, people that are not really in science, but are still really curious and inquisitive. Mm -hmm. um, and that those things um, being able to talk about science and be able to translate it and have folks appreciate it and want to learn more was yeah. something that just like really scratched a specific itch in my yeah. brain. So I was like, okay, I like communicating science. Can I transform that into a career of some sort? Uh -huh. um, so in order to kind of break into the science com or sci-com world, I developed my own podcast called Benchwork. Um, wow. Yeah. So I, before, before Benchwork, I was a or yeah, I was a radio DJ. Oh my um, gosh, that's so cool. Yeah, so uh, NYU has an awesome uh, radio station that's all student-led, and I was just a DJ on there doing mostly like electronic music, but they had a call out for podcasts, and I was oh, like, wow. okay, yeah. I would love to kind of see if I could actually do a podcast and, and kind of build it up from from the ground myself. So, and, you know, very low stakes, like student run radio, there wouldn't be like any like hard deadlines or anything. Absolutely. Like that. Um, so yeah, I, I started doing bench work and it became like really, really fun. I, I loved being able to like craft stories around uh, scientific topics that I cared about. And um, because I was already part of NYU, there was like a wealth of scientists I could just reach out to and be like, hey, can you talk to me about whatever topic? And yeah. most of the time they always said yes. Uh -huh. um, yeah. So that was kind of like my introduction into the world of uh, SciComm and podcasting. Um, but I kind of did something a little bit more formal after that. Yeah. But I would definitely say that starting my own podcast kind of like got my foot into the door. Okay, that's so cool. So then your current podcast that you run, are you, did you develop that yourself? Or did you do it like collaboratively? Did you join like an organization as kind of like a classic got my PhD? And then I went and worked for this like science communication company? Or how did that work? Mm, yeah, so 
right after, well, while I was kind of wrapping up my PhD earlier this year, I was frantically applying for jobs. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And unfortunately, the landscape for people who want to do psychoms and just like media in general is kind of grim right now. Like NPR was doing a bunch of layoffs. Um, A lot of podcasts were closing down. Um, So my prospects for getting a job were not um, abundant, Mm -hmm. Uh, getting a lot of rejections. So I decided to, since I didn't, I did have a little bit of experience like doing, um, you know, audio editing and storytelling. Uh, I wanted to get more in something a little bit more formal. Yeah. Um, So I applied to this amazing fellowship called the AAAS Mass Media Fellowship. Um, And it allows folks who have already have like a really strong science background, but who are interested in being able to do this more communication side. um, It enables you to go to uh, like big media hubs all around the country and and try it out and actually like live your day-to-day as if you were a journalist um yeah so it was a really great experience I got placed at a radio station WUNC which um comes out of both Durham and Chapel Hill in North Carolina uh and I worked there over this past summer and it was incredible I got to tell some amazing science stories one of my favorites was all about rhino poop um (laughs) oh my gosh I know. I never thought that after getting my PhD, I would be writing stories about rhino poop. And I also wrote a story about how kids um, interact with Roombas. Like, oh, <laughs> just just wild stuff, but really, really fun yeah. um, way to kind of still keep that interaction with science. And in addition to doing more like journalistic um, work that was both audio and written, I was working on a podcast at the time and it, it's um, the same podcast embodied okay. um, kind of just helping them out, um, developing, um, trying to find guests for them. And um, there was one show that I did produce during that time, which was on BDSM. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. So that was a really like fun other Avenue that I got to explore during my summer. Um, and it just so happens that when I was wrapping up my time there as a fellow, um, this podcast had an opening uh, for another producer and I applied to it and it worked out. So that was kind of my like journey. It wasn't very linear, but it it still um, led me to a place where I'm like really, really happy. And yeah, um, yeah, I might not have been able to tell you this time last year, like, oh, I'm definitely going to be working at a (laughs) a podcast, but I am, I'm so um, grateful that I was given those opportunities and am where I am right now. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. I feel like it does work out a lot of times like that where people are like, oh, like, I don't know, like, it was just kind of going along, like trying to find different (laughs) opportunities, but then like, kind of stumbled upon with intentionality, a really cool position that really fits like your actual interests and stuff like that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just out of curiosity, you've mentioned a couple of cool podcast topics that you've done, but what's your favorite like podcast episode you've ever done or the topic of it? Ooh, okay. So I have one from my podcast, which was Benchwork, the one that I um, did when I was in grad school. And the topic was 
there is a big there was a big fossil scandal um oh in, yeah so I set it up as kind of like a mystery yeah um, one of the earliest fossils or like so claimed earliest fossils was actually a fake really um, yeah so um in I forget the exact years but uh long ago in England, England was uh, feeling kind of left out that um, other European places like France and uh, were ha having all of these like wealth of fossils, of human yeah. fossils that they were finding. So England really wanted to be like the dawn of humanity and wanted to kind of like show off that they, they too had fossils. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so there was this one um, kind of crook turned paleontologist who, um, who found one of the like earliest man uh skulls but it turns out it was completely fabricated it wasn't real uh but for a long time people kind of thought of this as like oh wow this is this is where man was born like this is oh my god you know, the cradle of civilization and it turned out to be uh false um, wow it's still kind of unclear whether or not the the main guy is kind of the culprit or if he had help, if uh -huh. it was like a whole network of fake fossilers. But um, that was one story I really enjoyed for um, that I did for Benchwork. Um, and a story that I did with Embodied, um, I really had a great time on the BDSM show that I did over the summer. Mm -hmm. I, and mostly because I think that when people hear the term BDSM, they have like a very um, preconceived notion of what it is based on yeah. what they've like maybe seen in the media. But talking to folks that do this as a job or do this day to day, like a pro dominatrix, like we got to learn that there's actually a lot of like care and lovingness that goes oh, into, yeah, that goes into BDSM sessions and um, it's not just the like the whips and the chains that you see um, that is a part of it, but it I, I feel like there's another side that doesn't really get covered as much because it's not like that, like, you know, scandalous mm -hmm. um, aspect or like attention grabbing, but I, I think it's equally just as important and, and really moving. Um, so that was, I think, one of my favorite episodes I did for Embodied. And I'm really uh, excited about the um, Love and AI episode with chatbots. I think that'll be fun to research as well. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. Oh, my gosh. It sounds like it's just like a really fascinating job where you get to meet a lot of really unique people and really like kind of apply these like like your interest in science that you've gained as a scientist to kind of these diverse topics. So you're not just kind of in like one niche and stuff like that, um, which sounds kind of like a really big like asset of your job. Um, and I guess like kind of along with that, I'm curious like what types of skills you gained in your PhD that you've been able to apply to like your new job as a podcast podcaster is that the the right term I'm not sure yeah producer yeah science um, communicator yeah 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 um so I think that one of the big skills that I took away from my PhD was being able to craft a story mm -hmm. uh, I think that for better or for worse like learning how to write a grant um really kind of helped me be able to package my ideas in a way that would be compelling to folks that, you know, you put the good stuff right up front so that it, it grabs <laughs> people in. Um, 
so I think that being able to kind of like build that skill over many years and Mm -hmm. um, kind of hone in like what are people interested in in my research what's the like what's the nut graph what's the thing that like when they hear it they'll be like "Ooh, like I want to learn more Uh, I think that was a skill that I really um, gained from being in science Mm -hmm. uh, as well as being able to um, be try to communicate things in a way that isn't super jargon heavy and that that is understandable by a wider um audience um and because I I feel like science can tend to be a little bit of a silo and it it can Mm -hmm. leave folks out um who are curious but may not have um the that that jargon kind of on hand so I want to, with my work, try to like break down those barriers and like be able to democratize science and, and allow anybody who has the interest and, and the excitement about it to, to engage with it. Um, and I think that I kind of started those skills in my PhD, but I really think that I was able to work on them and make them even better by getting this experience working at a radio station in both podcasting, but also in um, just being a science journalist, because you have to, you have to do a lot of fact checking, you have to do a lot of um, research behind the scenes to make sure that you are conveying it in a way that's um, concise, but also correct. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. Um, And actually leads me really well right into my next question, (laughs) which is kind of like what your day to day looks like. So you mentioned like, the researching, knowing the facts, knowing the different sides, which I think is kind of a side of science communication that people don't often think of, they kind of think, oh, you just like, hop on and interview people. But I'm sure you really need to know a lot about these topics so that you can provide accurate questions, that type of thing. Um, So maybe you could tell us just a little bit more about kind of like, what your day to day looks like, what are some things like you really like doing in your role, maybe some things that aren't your favorite, that type of thing. Sure. Um, so the podcast that I'm working at, I'm I'm a producer, so I'm just like part okay. of a, a team. It's been, uh, Embodied has been around for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe it started in 2019. Um, and it, I'm not usually the one that's like interviewing people. That's kind okay. of uh, our host. Her name is Anita. That's her job. Yeah. Um, so I kind of do some of the work in the background. Um, I will... Uh, generally like pitch ideas like hey like Mm. this cool article came out um why don't we do a topic on this or like hey like um I hear that AI is really hot maybe we could do something in that realm um so then you know we'll have like generally like a team discussion to kind of like fill out how this would fit the embodied mold and then I get to do the fun bit of doing research and trying to find folks to uh, who can speak to these um, particular topics. Um, I really like that. I mean, I, yeah. I love a good deep dive on the internet. <laughs> and um, thankfully, uh, my job allows me to do those um, at a pretty frequent rate. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of my time I'll be like either interviewing people, kind of like sussing them out, seeing okay. if they would want to be on the show. Um, other things that I do, I do, um, some audio editing too. Uh, we use the program called audition and, uh, our radio show and the podcast gets kind of like, um, runs through audition and we can, you know, 
take out any ums or you know likes or <laughs> yeah. any like weird audio things um I do some of that uh we also have a audio engineer who who does like the the lion's share of that but I do some some minimal stuff yeah. um and then what else do I do um yeah just like a lot of oh script like the day before the show I'll do like script writing so okay. um kind of you know thinking about what questions we want to ask the guest and then um writing that out uh and then reviewing it with uh our editor and also uh, Anita and just kind of working together um to make sure that we have a really solid script so that when Anita goes to actually like interview the folks she feels really prepared to like have a great conversation with them mm-hmm. um yeah that's kind of like the what I do day to day, it's, it's a little bit variable, but, um, it's, it's still like really fun. And I think that one of the, another big skill that I didn't mention was being able to do research. Um, I think that, uh, I definitely beefed that up during my PhD. And even though a lot of the times I'm not like, you know, on PubMed anymore. (laughs) I'm I'm still able to kind of like use those, like those raw research skills and kind of apply them to, to different topics, even if they aren't necessarily directly connected to, to science. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like, like in this role, like your PhD is really like valued and like your ability to do this research and to know kind of like, uh, yeah, like how to go, even if it's not to PubMed, how to go out and find stuff, how to, um, like really kind of figure out what's interesting, that type of thing? Yeah, I feel very prepared to do the work that I do. Um, And I think a lot of it has to do with the skills that I learned during my PhD. Um, They form a really strong baseline Mm -hmm. that I can, you know, easily draw from uh, day to day. And yeah, even if I'm not necessarily <laughs> looking up like, you know, how does the brain use ATP to, during memory formation, even yeah. if that's like not what I'm doing anymore, I can still um, use, you know, Google, Google is my best friend, yeah. <laughs> still use Google and those type of skills to be able to uh, find interesting people and be able to find topics that um, I think that other people would be interested in and um yeah yeah absolutely no that's great um yeah I guess like I'm curious too kind of like what criteria kind of going back to like your job hunting a little bit your job search um like what criteria were you kind of using to help you decide like what would be a good fit for you um when you were looking for these types of jobs Mm. When I was looking for jobs kind of towards the tail end of my PhD, I was not being picky <laughs> about what I applied to. <laughs> yeah. Um, I knew that I wanted from my podcast experience um doing bench work, I knew that I wanted to kind of stay in audio. I really liked yeah. being on the radio. I thought that it was like a really uh fun and creative way to like tell your stories and get them across. Uh unfortunately, the radio landscape is 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 shrinking yeah. it's not as bad as like print but it's still kind of like coming to a point um yeah. especially when I was applying to work like there were uh not a lot of opportunities yeah. but I just applied to pretty much anything because 
I kind of had a general direction of where I knew I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'll be like honest, like I didn't get any like callbacks for yeah. any actual like full-time positions. And I think it was in part due to the fact that I didn't have any um, like formal podcasting or audio editing experience. Um, So I guess if folks are trying to break into the world of SciComm, I would recommend that they try any way they can um, and try avenues that are probably already open to them in if they are in a university in a university Mm -hmm. or if they were in one like if they can still tap into that network um so if you want to do podcasting see if you have a student-run radio station where you could Mm -hmm. maybe you know uh have start recording there or if you want to get into print see if you can like write up some articles and put them in the uh, university newspaper um i think being able to like have clips even if they aren't, you know, the most amazing clips ever, <laughs> like still being able to have that and say that I have that experience. I have these like solid yeah. things. I think that will will help you immensely. Um, it helped me, I, I believe, get this fellowship that I think kind yeah. of like kicked off um, my uh, very young career in, in journalism <laughs> yeah. and in podcasting. So um, I would say that, uh, while you may get a lot of no's, if this is something you care about and something that you're really excited about, try other avenues that have less barriers to entry. Mm -hmm. Because once you have those clips, once you have those things behind your name, um, you will probably have more opportunities kind of open up to you. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I was gonna ask you what advice you had for people who want to get into it. So thank you so much. Of course. Of course. Um, yeah, with that, I mean, I don't know how much like interviewing was an aspect of your like getting your current job. Um, but if it was, how like was interviewing for this type of job different than like a grad school interview? Did it feel kind of similar? Like what was the difference kind of in like the job application interview process compared to you know when you think about like the classic tenure track job they go in for two days do a job talk fly to a new school which I think isn't totally typical for outside of academia jobs so I'm just kind of curious how that went for you yeah it definitely wasn't as intense as like a job talk because those uh just watching those throughout my PhD I was like oh my god this seems really intense yeah um (laughs) Uh, I did uh, interview for the position I'm currently in. Uh, It did help that they knew me because I was working throughout the summer and and, um, kind of assisting them in in making uh, the BDSM episode. So they kind of like had a feeling of my personality and what I was like. Um, So, I mean, if you you already have connections places, like definitely drop on those because once people know you, they know your work ethic, like, uh, that'll be much easier to kind of walk through that door. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the interview for this position was kind of similar to grad school, uh, in that it was about like 30 ish minutes. Um, I think it was a little bit, uh, similar in the fact that they kind of wanted to, to understand the way your brain worked. Um, so for, uh, 
this podcast, um, they asked me like, okay, can you pitch a show idea to us? Okay. Can you you tell us like, um, what kind of guests you would want on this show? Uh, what are some ideas that you have? Like, yeah. So they, they wanted to see how my brain worked. They wanted to see like what ideas I had kind of cooking. Um, and I felt like that was pretty similar to grad school interviews Mm -hmm. where, um, sometimes people would like bring up a scenario or they would be like, how would you solve this question? Or, or what experiments would you, you develop in order to, you know, answer this? Um, so I think being able to kind of think on your feet, but also like prepare a little bit for for both, uh, of those interviews definitely served me well. Um, and yeah, I would say that I mean the the podcast interview was I guess a little bit more on the um on the creative side uh yeah. just cuz it you know lends itself more to to that ilk but um yeah generally I would say that they were kind of comparable uh the, the one on grad school was a little bit different cuz there I was talking to three people at okay. once instead of just one usually most of my grad school interviews were just like one-on-one, but like, you know, five or six of those, like in one day, uh, which was also like, oh, wow. A lot. (laughs) I'm just thinking back to that time. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. No, that's super helpful to know. I feel like that's kind of one of the maybe one of the bigger stressors of people who are trying to kind of get out of academia is this kind of unknown, like within academia, I feel like there's usually kind of like a standard thing, you know, you go to like the grad school interview and yeah, it's the one-on-ones with professors. They're asking you about experiments. You might want to do that type of thing. If you are going into like a tenure track position, you're maybe doing, or like a postdoc interview, it's kind of similar, lots of one-on-ones with faculty. Whereas I think like what a lot of people don't know is like, what is even the process? Like, is it similar at all when you're doing non-academic jobs? Um, And I think that that's something that's really valuable to know that, you know, it wasn't like the exact same, but you were still kind of, it was still an interview and all interviews have, you know, usually some sort of similar structure. So that's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely think that um, preparing the, the way I did for grad school interviews was was really helpful and and still applicable for uh this position that um I'm currently in and and applying for that so I think that folks should not be deterred from applying to those positions that uh you know maybe maybe they don't have the the complete cv or everything that they're asking for but like I would I would still say do it uh and and you know you never know because yeah. I think that the interview is a place where you can really shine and really kind of like show folks the the wealth of knowledge and experience and and uh, and talent that you really have. Absolutely, no, that's great. Uh, you mentioned like a couple times like connections and stuff like that, and I think that within academia, oftentimes networking happens at conferences or with you know your PI's friends or fellow grad students in the program. Um, and so I guess just out of curiosity for kind of non-academic jobs like this, uh, how would you kind of recommend approaching networking for people who maybe aren't quite as used to using like LinkedIn or things like that? Do you have any advice on that? Yeah, sorry. My dog is barking in the background. <laughs> You're okay. What kind of dog do you have? 
oh, I have a pit bull and she oh, just like cute. every time yeah she's very cute but every time the door rings or someone walks by she's just like on high alert so <laughs> apologies for the <laughs> no worries I didn't even hear it so okay great okay great um yeah uh can you wait can you re- repeat yeah yeah just curious like uh about networking for um people who are maybe used to more like traditional networking within academia like at conferences or with their PIs friends colleagues um fellow grad students that type of thing yeah so networking is uh something I'm still trying to figure out in this new field yeah I've been told by almost every like mentor I've had or you know person who is well established in in SciComm or in journalism that you need to network So that is something I'm, I'm a skill that I'm still kind of like strengthening at this point. I think that networking in science is kind of similar to networking in other places. Like Mm -hmm. if you know one person or if you know someone who knows someone, like don't be afraid to, to tap that person. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my, actually my PI who I had at Yale, she Mm -hmm was childhood friends with someone who works in public radio oh so, wow yeah uh and I you know I told my um my mentor my PI I was like hey I'm, I'm looking to get into SciComm in, in radio and she's like oh I have this friend who who oh, cool. does this and this like would you want to talk to her and she like you know looked through my application she listened to my podcast she gave me feedback wow. and yeah just like having being able to have those folks who kind of know your name and know your work and are able to like if they hear of anything like either send it to you or put your name up like that has been really helpful for me into trying to like build that uh like branching network and it is a little bit harder coming from the outside uh, of science um but I mean scientists talk to media they know people so if if you're interested and if you want to start that um, process I would definitely say maybe like tap your PI or tap other Mm -hmm. folks or mentors in science and see if they know anybody and then if they do set up like informational interviews um, just so you can ask people like what do you do like what's your job like how did you get there um and people will remember you. They they will kind of put a pin in your name. And if, if things kind of come their way, they might come your way. Yeah. Um, and I, I would definitely say that once you do have like a foot in the door, uh, try like really talking to as many people as you can. Yeah. So that's kind of what I did when I started working at WUNC, the radio okay. station. Um, I like almost every day had an informational interview with someone who worked there just okay. to like pick their brain even if they were you know the the politics journalists. <laughs> yeah. like even even if they were doing things that like I wasn't super um you know invested in I, I still just yeah. wanted to see how they got there um because they were you know in radio they're doing what I would want to do yeah um, so I I highly recommend uh doing that um another thing you could do is cold calling um okay. I don't have a lot of experience with that, but I have heard of friends who've just been like, I reached out to this person who does Science Friday and they got back to me and they, they wow. and we just like had a conversation. So yeah. doing things like that in places that you 
you know, revere really highly and would maybe want to work there someday, I think, you know, shoot your shot. You never know. Yeah. They, they may never get back to you, but they might. So you'll never know unless you send that email or, or, or try that phone call, um, what's going to happen on the other side of it. So when building a network, it's for me as an introvert, it's, it's yeah. hard, but putting yourself out there and being willing to, um, to, to try and, and to forge those connections, I think is, is really important. And I mm -hmm. guess also, um, if people want to reach out to me, uh, I'm, I'm yeah. more than happy to, to be that resource for folks. I mean, uh, as I said, I don't have like a flourishing network of people, <laughs> but like, I'm able, I'm, I'm willing to like talk to people who are, are interested. So, um, yeah, you can, uh, you can email me <laughs> at, uh, yeah, I don't know. Are you going to have like show notes? I'll put like a, I think we're going to have show notes. I'll put your email in the, in the notes. Cool. Yeah, no, thank you so much. That's super generous. And I'm sure lots of people um, will be super interested in this and would love to use you as a resource. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm more than happy to like help people like if they, if they want to want to be in the world, because I know it's, it's really hard to, to get in and yeah. um, it, I don't think it should be. Absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, networking is one of those things that's hard because I feel like everybody says like, you need to network, but it's also so hard to it's network. Really hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, kind of on like a totally different note, but I'm just curious. I think um, a lot of people, one of the things that I hear a lot from people is that they hope to have a little more like work-life balance outside of academia, just because, you know, academia, it's really long hours. A lot of times it's, you have to live in a place where maybe it's not like your top choice because that's where the jobs are, like that type of thing. So I guess I was just curious about like your work-life balance. Do you feel like it's um, okay in your role or what do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I definitely had to tell myself to like put my foot on the brake a little bit because uh -huh. I just towards the end of my PhD I was feeling really burnt out with the work and feeling really yeah. tired and and not no longer feeling inspired by what I was yeah. doing on a day-to-day -day basis so when I kind of got into this new position I was just like woo like let's go <laughs> like I was very yeah. much um you know, foot on the gas, never stopping, working really hard, which um, I had like a couple conversations with, with the other folks who are on the Embodied team. And they were kind of like, you could work that way, but like, <laughs> that's not really sustainable. Um, <laughs> yeah. And what I really did appreciate about uh, the culture at this radio station, WUNC that I'm working yeah. at is that they have a very, very like you work nine to five and then people just like log out, like yeah. right at 5 PM, the, the like tab on our Slack, it all, all of the bubbles go white. Like <laughs> nobody's green anymore. People are yeah. home, they're doing their thing. And honestly, like, I really, I really respect that. And I, I think that all of the journalists who I've talked to, like really adhere to that because they're like, it's so easy to just like have your job be your entire world. And I mean, that's fine, but how long can you really maintain that type mm -hmm. of lifestyle? So I think in the beginning, I was just so excited to be doing something new and, and yeah. something that could be super creative. Um, but I think I, I had to kind of like, um, 
you know, allow myself to stop and be like, yeah. we can do this another time. And uh-huh. it's, the work was, will always be there and you can always come back to it. Um, so I, I, that has been something that I've had to try to like implement more for myself and um, be a little bit more strict because especially in academia, it was kind of like, you can do experiments all day long and no one will ever tell you to stop. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely no I bet it's hard to switch your mindset from like you said like this like work 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 like get your dissertation done get your master's done get all of this done to suddenly this kind of culture shift almost it sounds like of like instead of it uh being like yeah like the more you can work the better (laughs) to more like oh no like we're all gonna log off like we're gonna go home like it's not necessary to like work around the clock in order to like still be productive keep your job like that type of thing totally totally and I mean everybody at the station produces like extremely high quality work and they and they still have lives like I don't know anybody that is like there all the time never never leaves like is going to the desk like and I do know some scientists that are like (laughs) for for sure I do too (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I just I really really respect and I'm glad that I'm starting to adopt this um more like uh intentional way of approaching my work and I think my work is probably better for it that I'm not just doing it you know 24 7 um so yeah that I think has been a really a really big shift mentally but also a for the positive yeah absolutely that's amazing well, um, I don't take too much of your time. So I have kind of one last question for you. Um, it's been so wonderful talking with you. Just you. super great advice. So helpful. And so many just interesting stories and stuff. So this is great. Um, but yeah, I guess like my last kind of question is, do you have like one overall kind of top piece of advice for people in PhD programs who are looking for jobs outside of the traditional academic space? I guess my piece of advice would be to kind of similar to what I said about networking is to not be afraid to put yourself out there. Um, Even if you don't have the experience, if people, people respect that you have a PhD, people respect the the work and the effort that kind of goes into, to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And being able to kind of highlight those skills skill sets that you've learned um while getting this degree speaks to a lot of people um and to a lot of career paths not just like psychom or or journalism so uh, if you want to kind of um leave academia uh and you know it's not for you then don't stay in it like just just like you should you should leave and you should feel uh, and feel empowered to do so um, especially because you have all of these things kind of backing you up. Um, and yeah, apply to those jobs and positions that you may not 100% fit the bill um, and try to like reach out to those people who are running that position and, and see if you can kind of get your name in, in, in their mouth so they they kind of like see the name and they recognize it. Um, definitely I would, I would say like, just, sorry, my neighbor was stomping. (laughs) I, I would, I would, I would say that first and foremost is to 
really put yourself out there and and try new things. Don't be afraid to to try a a fellowship or an internship because those more likely than not can be really big stepping stones to places that you want to go. Um, and also don't be afraid to take a position that may not 100% align with what you want to do. Um, but again, once once you're in the door, once you, you kind of have like a little foot in the wedge, like that will bring you places and bring you to where you want to be ultimately. Absolutely. No, that's fantastic advice. Um, I've learned so much today. I'm sure our listeners will learn so much. Um, and it's just been such a delight to talk to you today and hear all of your thoughts and advice. So thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Ellen. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Short Talks. If you'd like to learn more about applying to grad school, you can find additional resources on the Project Short website. Hope to see you again shortly.